In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Please turn to page three in your bulletin because we are going to spend almost all of our time in the book of Genesis. Page three. Uh, Someone uh, very wise theologically and otherwise uh, has said that Genesis was written, among other things, in order to answer this question. If God created, created everything good, how did everything get so messed up? And we have part of our answer. In this story in Genesis, God creates, and it is very good. Uh, as the creation and the image bearers that God creates participate in the life of God, it is called paradise. This paradise is a blessed state, a blessed state where the life of God is flowing in and through the creation, in and through the will and the mind and the hearts and the bodies of Adam and Eve. And there is full communion in paradise. The life of God interfolds with the life of creation and God's life and will and spirit is flowing through the minds and hearts and the wills of Adam and Eve and they shine with the glory of God and they reign with him in the proper fashion as being created. Work is meaningful. There's no toil There's no burden to work. The relationships in paradise, in this blessed state of full communion, just flow back and forth in love. God, in relationship with all of his creation, in relationship with those who bear his image, the relationship between the man and his wife flow freely. And it says that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. This is the full communion, the blessed state. But we know what happens. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is eaten and everything changes. And in fact, this is what happens in the verse before the start of our reading in Genesis on page 3. Listen to this. This is after eating the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And then our passage begins. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. Automatically, they are recognizing that there is a rupture in paradise. There is the ending of their relationships. They are now no longer participating in the life of God in a free flow of communion. They're actually hiding from God. And when God comes and starts asking questions, then they start blaming each other. You can see the breakdown of paradise, and that, of course, is what is happening, and that is what uh, we are looking at today. 
It's interesting to note that shame is mentioned in Genesis in this passage, but not guilt. Of course, they were guilty of something, of of disobeying God's commandment, and they would bear the consequences of that. But in fact, their eyes were open, and they experienced something called shame. Father Stephen Freeman, who's done a lot of uh, research and writing on shame, says that shame is experienced as a burning sense of exposure and vulnerability. And I think he's on to something there. He says the nakedness of the soul, as we all experience it, is a true nakedness. We have lost something that was or is proper to our very being. We were all created for the glory of God. We were all created to be filled with the life of God, doing God's will, to reign with God, all of these things. But we are people who feel shame because we know that we are not who we were created to be. Or we know that we're not who we want to be in God's plan. So what do we do about that? What do we do about it? We have this bearing of shame, all of us, that we are not who we really should be. Well, John Bradshaw, uh, uh, our own Houston John Bradshaw, makes an observation about shame. He says there's a difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. And healthy shame actually has a benefit to us. He says healthy shame keeps us grounded. It is a yellow light warning us of our essential limitations. Healthy shame is the basic metaphysical boundary for human beings. It is the emotional energy that signals us that we are not God, that we will make mistakes, that we will need help. Healthy shame gives us permission to be healthy. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? Because healthy shame, according to John Bradshaw, reminds us that we are limited, finite, human. We make mistakes. We fumble the ball. We are human beings with those characteristics. And accepting that, that shame is good because it keeps us from thinking that we're more than we really are. Now, there is something called toxic shame, and Brene Brown is someone uh, that you may recognize her name. She's done some of the latest research on this. She defines toxic or unhealthy shame this way, as shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore, and the therefore is very important, and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Now that's toxic shame, that's unhealthy shame, because we are not unworthy, and the gospel, and God's grace, and God's love is always coming to us to remind us that we don't need to have that type of shame. And if we do, we need to accept and receive the love of God and receive 
the healing that comes with the love of God. Now, interesting to note, when they experienced themselves as naked and had this shame, they got busy, didn't they? They got busy with a project that they themselves initiated of sewing together a few fig leaves to have their covering. And when God shows up, he says, that's not going to work. He says, I have a better plan. And then God, in his humble love, becomes a seamstress and sews together the coverings for Adam and Eve. They were still bearing the the consequences of their actions, but he covered them as they walked out of the garden. And that is the story of salvation that God provides the covering for our shame. And in fact, if you track this all the way through the plan of salvation, it is the robe of righteousness who is Christ himself that covers our shame. Paul says, all who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You can see that God provides everything that we need. Well, some questions about shame. And uh, before we move into how we, in our daily life, remain in that full communion as we can. A question to ask you, a question to ask myself, what are you ashamed of? What am I ashamed of? Another question What or who are you hiding from? What and who am I hiding from? This is a fascinating question. What are you covering yourself with? I did a lot of reading on that. Um, One author talked about the fact that we have all sorts of ways of covering ourselves to form an identity so others will see us the way that we hope that they will see us. We have clothes, obviously, but the clothes are a, different, a certain style, the way that we want to be seen and sit in front of other people, right? In fact, our whole culture is built on finding identities to cover our shame with. You know, They come out with a new car every year. So after about the fourth or fifth year, you think, well, I can't keep driving this old car around. I've got to get a new one because I need to cover myself with this identity of success or this identity of not being, you know, stuck in the past or whatever. There's all sorts. You just just think about this. This is real fertile ground to, uh, to think about. What are the identities that we're picking up from some group? some tribe, some party, some family that we're wrapping ourselves with in order to cover our shame, in order that others will see us a certain way. So, this is how it works. God, though, comes and gives us the only covering we need. The good news is that we are worthy of God's love, God's love keeps flowing towards us just like the waves crashing on the seashore. It never stops. It never ends. We're worthy of the love of God. In fact, God has a much more exalted understanding of who we are 
than we have of ourselves. And he is moving us to become that healed, glorified person who is sharing his life and doing his will. And so God is providing the robe of righteousness that is Jesus himself, the Christ, for us to live in. Now, uh, all of this is based on something that we just have to state outright. We were never created to operate in this world simply under our own power. We were created to be energized and filled with the very life of God. We are very much created like a lamp where if a lamp is not plugged in to the source of power, it just sits there. It doesn't actually fulfill its purpose. It can't light a room. And it may look okay for a little while, but everybody knows that lamps go out of style after a while and you have to get rid of them, right? Or another example that I've read about is everyone knows that you have to put gasoline in a car in order to make it work properly, right? Wouldn't it be ridiculous if everyone were pushing cars around because they thought that's how it worked? Because they didn't realize that, no, gasoline's supposed to go in that engine, and then that way you just tap on the pedal and it just goes and goes. But no, people are pushing cars around. People are living life under their own power, without God's strength, because they're hiding, or they're ashamed, or they're confused, or they're rejecting God, they're rejecting others, the participation of others. There's all sorts of ways that people get bogged down in life. But if we can simply accept that we're not meant to live under our own power, we're meant to live in communion with God to be energized by God's power, to receive God's vision and God's spirit and God's will and way. And even though we don't do it perfectly, that's the only sane way to live in this world. Well, let's just finish about how to have full communion with God here and now. Paul mentioned that our outer nature right now is wasting away. We had a funeral passage. We read this at funerals all the time. Our outer nature is wasting away because our physical bodies are under death. They are moving towards death, every one of us right now. He says, but our inner nature is being renewed day by day as we participate and live in and with God. And so eventually our bodies will catch up to us because God will raise up our bodies And our renewed souls and spirits will be put together with our new renewed bodies. And we will reign in glory in the new creation. That's where Paul and the apostles say everything is headed. But while we are struggling with these bodies. And while we are struggling to try to allow God into our lives. Here are the things that I think we need to be doing. We begin with being clothed with Christ in baptism. That is our central identity into, uh, in this world. And his robe of righteousness, his robe of life and love are our true identity. 
we learn to come out of hiding because we are learning that with Christ and with the love of God and with this central identity that we don't have to hide so much anymore. And we begin to learn to let go of all of these other identities that we've accumulated to make ourselves seem this way or that way in the eyes of ourselves and in the eyes of others. And we begin every day by intentionally communing, relating, and connecting to God, who is our source of life, who is our source of peace and power and joy. Everything is wrapped up in that. And so every day we will have a time that we truly put ourselves into communion with God. God is always there. It's us that need to step in to do that every day. And every day we can have a prayer life other than structured prayers of being able to talk with God all through our day. There's no time that you cannot talk to the Lord. Uh, We will begin to feed on his word. Christ and the Holy Spirit can be experienced in a deep way as we study the scriptures. And we will seek to do his will. Jesus said, the people that are his family are the people that do his will. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The keeping of the commandments as empowered by God is a beautiful thing. It's not a self-righteous thing. It's something that's as sweet as honey on the comb. And then, lastly, we will make our communion because this is truly the source of this life that we are speaking of as Christ comes to us to be in us and with us, his life in ours, in our holy communion. And we will learn to bear a little shame along the way. We must bear a little shame along the way. The shame of revealing ourselves to God, revealing ourselves to appropriate, safe people to bear a little bit of our shame that we're not everything that we wish or hope that we would be. We have to bear a little shame about these bodies because when they work well, they're fantastic. When they don't, they are quite a challenge. It is the challenge of a lifetime, and we have to bear a little shame that these bodies are struggling, and sometimes really, really struggling. That is a part of what we have to do until what is mortal is swallowed up by life, but that's where we're headed. And so, as we seek to be in full communion with God, with Christ in the spirit here and now, our souls and spirits being renewed day by day, our bodies going a different direction, we can, without shame or fear, rejoice to behold his appearing. Amen.